I'm Anna Webb. This is A Dog's Life. Hey, Mr. Binks. You know how much I love you and Prudence. You really are my family. And all dog lovers I know feel the same. So it's absolutely criminal that dog theft has not just skyrocketed, but it's become like an epidemic recently. So today we're having a very special roundtable discussion with some very prominent campaigners and activists to find out what can be done about this. But first, let's talk to Melina Georgiou, who had her precious dog Nala stolen, but thankfully got her back. Hi, Melina. Hi. Thanks for coming on A Dog's Life. I so appreciate it. Because in this age of ridiculous, painful, soaring dog theft, you have actually been a victim of this heartless crime. Explain a bit more. Um, So, yeah, I I mean, you never actually think it's going to happen to you until it does. And I think you do everything you can to keep your dog safe because they are literally like your family, like your baby in some instances. And that's exactly what we did. We actually knew that dog theft was kind of on the up, even though I wasn't really following it per se. I definitely knew that it was happening and I was even warned by my grandma. She said, please like be really careful when you go and take your dog, you know, for walks just be really careful you know people are just going and taking dogs even when you're going for walks so please be careful and I said oh don't worry nothing will happen we live in a really safe area it should be fine but on the 18th of February we decided to let our dog Nala she's a one-year-old multi-poo she's literally the light of our lives she's incredible she's our family dog we say because we're a big Greek family she's was bought by my auntie but as my auntie's in a bubble with us because she uh, basically lives on her own we kind of all take it in turns to look after her and walk her and spend time with her and we all love her like our own and we were all in meetings that day and it was a nice day so uh, we organized a dog walker who she has very frequently to take her and three other dogs for a walk just for an hour to get really muddy and just get her a little bit tired so she didn't have so much energy because she's still a baby so she just has so much energy she runs around a bit like a turbo dog so we like her to go on walks during the day as well um so she did that everything was fine and then as the um dog walker was going to drop off the first dog um it was on a really really quiet road and she goes there all the time and it's always fine and there's never anyone walking around or it's just a really quiet road so she thought you know okay it should be fine I like to get the dog from the van give them a little treat and then just literally walk like two steps to give them to their owner and everything's fine so that's what she went to do with the first dog and there was Nala our dog and two other dogs who are like brother and sister in the back of the van And as she literally stepped out of the van, someone ran into the van and sped off with it, like really harshly. They were really going very fast. Um, Oh my gosh, so they actually stole a van. (laughs) Yeah, so they literally stole the van. Instead of stealing the dogs from the van, they just, they must have seen that she was, she had left the keys in there. And they, we think that they were probably following the van for a couple of days, kind of seeing what route she took or whatever. And I mean, we don't know, but like, how else would they have randomly just seen her on this quiet road and knew to jump in her van? Yeah. Um, And then they drove off, but uh, it was quite, it happened so quickly. She said, like, I just, I literally turned away for one second and the van was gone. Um, And it just, it all 
kind of happened very quickly the first couple of days because the van was found around the corner from us. It had one of the dogs called Kayla inside who's a lurcher. And because she's quite, a, you know, they're quite muscly dogs and they're quite big. She's very beautiful. She's apricot and white. And I think you'd be able to notice her if you were to see her. Um, she was found in the van with a little cut on her nose. And we don't really know why she was left in there, but I'm guessing she was a bit harder to pick up and take. And then Nala and another dog were gone. And then the next morning, uh, Chester, who is a dog with um, terminal cancer, he was found in Kent, which is really far away from where we live. I mean, we live in North London. So that was just a bit confusing. So he was found in Kent in the morning, um, kind of in between a block of flats. But unfortunately, Nala was gone for a whole month and there was just not one sighting of her. There was nothing. The police just kept saying, you know, we're doing what we can, which is heartbreaking, really, because you don't actually know what they're doing. And we're lucky because we didn't get a no, we're not helping you, um, which I know, you know, it can happen and it is de devastating. So I completely understand we were lucky in the sense that if we did call the police, they, they were kind of trying to locate where the people had gone. Um, but the thing that helped the most was the public support that we had we you know because lady gaga's dogs were stolen literally like a couple of days after ours um it became like a big boom in the news and i remember lbc calling us you know we had a lot of like the big news channels calling us we were on in a lot, in a lot of the tabloid newspapers and that really helped get the word out and without the constant support every day from people that i don't even know literally up and down the up and down the country looking on dog websites looking out for her in the streets, going up to people with dogs that look like Nala saying, can I just, can I just take a picture? My friend's lost her dog. And like, we just, you know, and really, really helping us. Everyone was kind of on their detective mode. That's brilliant. I mean, you know, social media in situations like this comes into its own, doesn't it? Oh goodness. You don't even realize, like I genuinely thought when I posted that she'd gone, like she'd been stolen that day, I genuinely thought, all right, get a, cu a couple of, you know, thousand um, shares on Facebook because we're part of a lot of dog communities on Facebook and we're part of like the Multipoo Society. And so those kind of places, they're really good with sharing because obviously they're all for dog safety. But I thought, all right, get a couple of hundred retweets on Twitter. You know, people saying, oh, I'm so sorry, I'll help you like look out for her. But this was like, she was on everybody's lips all up and down the country. I would go and put a poster crying my eyes out in a park all the way up north and someone would walk past and say oh my goodness I've been following this story I've seen her on Facebook and you don't realize how much people actually love dogs in this country and how much they will go out of their way to help you and that was a really big shock because it meant so much to us and that's so interesting isn't it though I always say dogs are, are like a social network without being on social media because you know being um, a dog owner you are part of the community and everyone 99.9 percent .9 of everyone with a dog loves their dog they are part of the family so a month so all of this frenzy on social media this was all in your advantage and if you don't want to go into detail i totally understand and and for legal reasons but explain the day when she arrived home how did it feel so, I mean, just to put into context, so imagine you've got people helping you 24 seven, like with your dog being taken, but when you're alone and you're about to go to bed, that's when the, you, you literally are in panic every single day. So I'm actually getting teary even talking about it. Cause it, 
honestly, it was torment because it wasn't just me. It was seeing how my auntie was being affected by it. It was the fact that we had to take time off of work. We, any conversation that we had was about Nala. We, we couldn't talk about anything else. We couldn't even eat because we felt sick of the thought of like what's happened to her. It's, it's worse than something dying because it's kind of you're thinking what kind of situation are they in? And it's, it's literal torture every single day and you feel sorry for your dog not only for yourselves. And so I remember on the day that we we got her back, um, I remember we we put out a reward and the next day came and me and my mum and my grandmother, we were sitting around the dining room table in the morning. And again, for the hundred billionth time, we were talking about Nala and I, and I, we really sat down and we thought about all the different scenarios she could be in. She could be hurt. She could be in a field. She could be being used to try and breed, even though she wasn't able to breed because she spayed. Um, you know, she could be have someone that really cares about her that accidentally bought her. You're like you just don't know the situation. And in the end, I turned around and I really kind of admitted defeat. And I said, in a way, I really at this point have lost hope because how has not one person seen her in a month? Like, where could she be? Like, are we just going to keep doing this forever and not and just be constantly in this like emotional roller coaster up and down? And that day, I kind of just carried on with my day for the first time in a month. You know, I went out with my sister and we had a nice day out and whatever. And then we got um, a picture of her and someone had said, oh, I've, I've found her and they were in Surrey. And um, we all kind of didn't believe it was her. And we mm. said, that doesn't look like her. That's really weird. And I, and I turned to my boyfriend actually, and I said, you know, if we will know it's her when it's her, like I, I, there's something about that dog that doesn't look right. But surely she had a microchip. She did have a microchip, but what was weird is, you know, this, the, the person didn't take her into a vet or anything. So we were just kind of like panicking. I think it was just the stress of imagine as well, when you get your dog stolen and you've got posters up with your number on it, you get a lot of prank calls saying, I've got your dog. It's dead. Ha ha ha. Um, I've got your dog come and meet me here. And then they're not there. It's this constant keeping your hopes up. Your, your, your heart goes through the roof. And then, so did you get a lot of that Melina sort of prank calls and so many, and they were heartbreaking. They were heartbreaking because you get your hopes up. You, 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 my auntie would call me and say, I've got a call. I've got a call. This, this guy has called me. He says that, you know, there's a dog and it's shaking and it's running up a hill. Oh my goodness. Come, come. And then the people like dogs lost who are, you know, literally dedicating their lives to helping us find their dogs would rush there and there would be no one in sight. And they're like, haha, we're joking. And it's like, imagine what that feels for us. Like we would have to stop working to go and go out there and supposedly meet someone to go and get our dog back. And it's all fake. Like it was, it was horrendous. And that's so awful and how horrible. Oh, people. Yeah. But, oh. but you took, you, you had a feeling, did you, about this, this connection in Surrey? Yeah, we, we did. So, and in the end, she ended up getting microchip, um, microchip scanned and, and, and it was her. So we, we tried to keep calm. We thought to ourselves, you know what, there's a chance that, you know, even if it's not Nala, it's someone else's dog that's, you know, that's been missing and that means the world to us as well if someone else's dog can be found even if it's not ours you know we've we've done they've done a good thing they found a dog and we're gonna make sure that the owner finds it so in a way we were kind of hoping that either way it was a missing dog and someone was gonna get their dog back and from all the things that I can't say it wasn't it ended up being her and she was un she was unharmed she's back with us now and yeah they went to get her straight away 
Oh, that's brilliant. And and I bet she I bet she couldn't believe walking through her own front door. Do you think she's been emotionally scarred at all, Melina? So what was weird is we were prepared for a lot of just even emotional damage to be done because I, you know, you don't know what situation they're in. They can't talk. We don't know. I think she's definitely doing better than we thought. So we're really, really happy about that. I mean, she's eating really well. Again, she's unharmed. So she's kind of getting back to normal, but she is very jumpy and she's very clingy and she was clingy before, but I think she's just trying to make sure that we don't leave her again because I think in their heads, maybe they feel a little bit like we about, we did that to them. We made them go on this, this horrible trip for a month instead of someone took her. And I think she's still very shaky in cars as well because she was obviously taken in a van and they weren't driving very nicely. So maybe that's to do with it. So there's just little things here and there, but we feel very extremely grateful that she is doing a lot better than we thought. And she, again, she's unharmed and she's healthy and she's eating well. And that's kind of all that matters to us. So we do feel very lucky about that. Oh, no, such a relief. And now you've got the rest of her life to enjoy together. And I would just say training, lots of training with her will build her confidence. And that's always a a good tip. Train a new trick. It, It often helps with so much. But Melina... I'm so happy for you and thank you for sharing the story and your story. And let's just hope government does make some big changes to make dog theft a really punishable offence. I really hope so, because honestly, for people like me and anyone that knows what we're going through, even just making it a more punishable offence means that, you know, the police or whoever it is will take it more seriously and we'll feel like we get that extra little bit of support from the the things that we can't control during a time that's so hurtful for all of us. So that would literally mean the world to so many people and it would just make us feel a little bit secure that if our dogs ever were to be stolen, if it hasn't happened, then you get that extra support and know that whatever happens, you'll get your justice. Exactly. It is that justice thing. And I think Nala was very lucky. And it may well have been because they found out she was spayed, you know, and perhaps no good to them that actually she eventually came back to you. Oh, well, look, enjoy her, uh, Melina. And thank you again. No problem. We are. We're showering her with love every single day. We're literally spoiling her. We're doing everything we can to make sure that she settles back in well. And she's got a really good support system. So, yeah, we're very thankful. Oh, well done. Thank you. Well, I'm delighted to be joined today by three leading lights. One in really the world of dogs, Beverly Cuddy, journalist, editor of Dogs Today magazine and patron of the Stolen and Missing Pets Association. Also not least by Sir Ian Duncan Smith, who the Dog's Life is so honoured to have you on as championing the cause for pet theft reform now in government. And Debbie Matthews of Vets Get Scanning, Stolen and Missing Pets Alliance. And really, um, I would say one of the people who began the campaign to reunite 
stolen dogs and lost dogs with their owners through microchips. So everyone is going to have their say on this um, extremely topical issue of dog theft. So let's kick off with Beverly Cuddy, please. Very quickly, Beverly, your experience in the dog world has reigned really for over 30 years. And I'm just interested to hear your take on what you think of the last 15 years of dog ownership in this country? Well, it's been amazing. Dogs have definitely moved in and are sitting on the sofa. They're part of our family now. They're very definitely one of our closest allies. Um, Unfortunately, the law is still the way it was when dogs were out there helping us catch our dinner, where the dogs were very much more utilitarian. Now dogs are very, very important to us emotionally. And they always were, but now we're much more acutely aware of it. I think with the pandemic and all the other factors in in modern life, dogs have become ever more important and they've they've lent into us, reminded us to live in the moment, reminded us what's important in life and unconditionally they love us. And unfortunately, we've not kept up with protecting them, just like um, legislation over in America when the famous Ginsburg looked at it and found all the sexism in every little corner, our legislation is similar. The dog at the moment is just merely a possession in many respects. And that doesn't reflect the way society feels. Absolutely, Beverly. I I so couldn't agree more. Now, Ian, it's wonderful that you've taken the the mantle, really, on dog theft. And was it Lady Gaga's incident that, I mean, we we always say these things that we are only in America, but the worrying trend is that thefts of dogs from their owners is getting increasingly violent already, Ian. Why have you offered your support at government level to this crime? Well, no, it wasn't Lady Gaga, funnily enough. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm, I can't confess that I'm a, a huge uh, follower of Lady Gaga's, but I mean, she did make the major news and of course it illustrated, as all these things do, um, uh, just exactly what the problem is. But no, it, it really, I was brought alert to this, uh, or I was alerted to this, should I say, um, by a conversation I was having because I do these Facebook live events with significant individuals in uh, my area um, in the constituency of the borough and I was with the borough commander one evening and a lot of my constituents were uh, on the on the Facebook live uh, asking questions one of them uh, was a woman uh, I think in her 70s who um, suddenly said there is a problem over dog theft and I pricked my ears up and she said, um, uh, the other day I was out walking and I was assaulted by uh, some young men trying to take my dog. And she said, uh, you know, it was horrific really. And uh, I've had my dog stolen. Uh, and then she said, and I, I went to the police and nothing happened. And then the borough commander was on and he sounded completely nonplussed. He didn't really know what to say, but it got me thinking um, at the time. Now I actually also happen to have been a lifelong dog owner in the sense that um, uh, my family have always had dogs, uh, the odd cat, but mostly dogs. Um, And my wife is the uh, chairman of the trust uh, of the charity called Medical Detection Dogs. Uh, These are dogs that are trained and demonstrating that dogs can detect, well, all diseases, but cancer uh, uh, much earlier than any of the medical tests and are proving that 
you know, disease has a smell. So we, they socialize their dogs and we just happen to be looking after or have considered to be, you know, ours as it were, but they go to work every day. Uh, two of those dogs, one of them actually asleep in the armchair behind me to be quite frank. Oh no, that's fantastic. Um, oh, Ian, I'm so, um, Oh, I, I actually launched medical detection dogs way back in 2008. And uh, mm. that's so brilliant to hear that you've actually got one of their super sniffers beside We've you at two. the moment. You've got two super sniffers. Amazing. Yes. And I really feel, especially with the COVID-19 work that uh, medical dogs has been doing, you know, and dogs obviously alerting us to COVID-19, really highlights the impact of dogs through lockdown, which is this kind of phase, this moment in history where for me, I really feel that we've let dogs down actually a bit um, on a number of levels. But and you see, what, what troubles me with the Theft Act that, you know, Beverly was referring to there a minute ago, quite an old law, 1968, when dogs perhaps hadn't moved into our bedrooms quite as much as they have now. But ultimately, Ian, until this chattel business <laughs> is removed in a court of law, Will anything dramatically ever change? Well, it's, it's interesting that you make that point. I mean, the truth is, I think dogs have always been inseparable from mankind. They're the only species, and this is a bit we always, I always remind people, they're the only species out there that is both wholly dependent on and also depended on by man. So that we have a relationship, particularly with dogs. Yes, I know all the other pets, etc. I'm not putting it down on them, and, and uh, this is the key thing. They're all sentient beings. But dogs have a peculiar relationship with which is unlike any other animal in the animal kingdom. They are completely woven into our lives to such an extent uh, that they really aren't at ease if they're not with us. Uh, that's why, you know, the, the medical detection dogs doesn't believe in kennels uh, because they think that kennel held dogs are always slightly lower and a little more depressed than when they're with humans. So we are completely locked to these animals and they to us. Uh, and that's what makes them such uh, functional animals, but also uh, part of the family. And they can fulfill two roles. And that's the point, really, that makes them very important. It is time the law reflected that uh, much more. Uh, and to that extent, I offer a little bit of hope with this new legislation going through. I did speak to the Lord Chancellor, who himself confesses to be a uh, cat lover, <laughs> and the Home Secretary, Pretty Patel, uh, who both had not realised uh, at that stage how bad things had got and are um, now saying they're absolutely determined to try and resolve this, uh, but they're looking at what options there are. Last October, the pet theft reform petition was debated in Parliament, mm. and I couldn't believe it that it didn't really get anywhere, because surely at the moment there is a bit of a loophole with this chattel business, as I call it, that criminals have got an easy ride here to make a lot of money for no penalty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the honest reason why... You, it's, it's not about it not getting anywhere. It's, um, it's like that wonderful poem, Westwood, look, the land is bright. All these things just build slowly. So the awareness of this brought more people on. It's like my conversation with this lady, uh, who is my constituent, suddenly alerted me and reminded me that something that had been niggling away actually was very live and was affecting lives that were directly in touch with me. And we've just formed a WhatsApp group of Conservative MPs, and I know Labour have done the same because I've been talking to them. Uh, and literally, kind of overnight, we've had 
50, 60, 70 MPs now on that WhatsApp group all saying the same thing, suddenly relieved that everybody else is repeating that. So, so this is building the pressure to get the change and it takes a little bit of time, but each step that you make uh, moves us towards that. I think this is now unstoppable. Uh, and I think the question is only what can we do to resolve it? And there are a number of options and those are being looked at at the moment. You don't think that it's been a bit lackadaisical, for lack of a better word, that in the Theft Act, if you look at the nitty gritty of the Theft Act with emotional pain that's being caused from a theft or violence involved with a theft of an object, which is still a dog in a court of law, you know, there is a maximum penalty sentence, isn't there, of seven years. But from what I've read up, on that's never been been mm. sentenced yet so it could be but it hasn't or how well, am i getting it wrong no there are two or three elements that feed into this the first is that the available sentences in theft exist to be able to punish people and punish them fairly severely when it comes to pets uh, because they are not defined in any particular way the, the question about the dog theft is therefore shuffled down under the sentencing council's guidelines to not as serious as it should be. So number one, part of this issue is down to the sentencing council, whose guidelines are critical for how judges view certain types of crime. That we're asking for to be reviewed again. They need to stiffen up their guidance to judges, because judges you know, literally use the guidance to understand how the view is, how the law is meant to be interpreted. So that needs to be toughened up. We are looking at whether or not to define out a new category uh, within that. that. That's the more difficult element because discussing it with the Lord Chancellor, how do you do that? How do you define sentient beings in the sense that uh, it, does it catch every single sentient being or is it specific? So, so that, that's a little more problematic. But there are other things we can do really quickly. One is we could ban cash sales straight away. Uh, that, that destroyed the criminality around scrap metal dealers uh, because people used to go and steal uh, metal and then sell it to the scrap dealers for cash. That is banned and that immediately puts uh, an end to the idea of casual payment. And the second area is the things like uh, the debut on about uh, chipping and making sure that the chips are uniform and that we can scan them all and that vets have to scan them. Uh, there is no escape. Little things like that. So there are lots of things we can do quicker. There are some longer term things, but I, I, you know, the whole idea of gathering these groups of MPs together is now to start the process of putting pressure really heavily on the government to get this done and get it quickly. And there is a vehicle, I think. This vehicle is this present crime and sentencing bill, police and sentencing bill that's going through Parliament at the moment. Oh, wow. So that really is massive progress, Ian. Oh, look, thank you. Now, you mentioned chips there, which is where, Debbie Matthews, please come in now. You launched Vets Get Scanning about in 2006, Debbie? Yes. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm very bad at campaigning. <laughs> yes, I did start it in 2006 when my own two dogs were stolen. And I found out pretty quickly that there wasn't any help from the police. And almost worse was that my microchipped dogs wouldn't get back to me because they've got a microchip because they, they, if they were sold on, but don't check the chips and I wouldn't get my dogs back. And um, that I'm still campaigning for that now. And thank goodness it's Ian has included this into his campaigning with the uh, 
pet theft reform. Absolutely, because there's lots and lots of different databases for microchips being one problem, perhaps. And, and of course, it is the fact that vets aren't legally required to scan for a chip. And if they do, it normally just goes into their own database for their own marketing purposes. Yeah, at the moment, there's 15 microchip databases. And I don't know if you've just seen all the publicity about Petlog just updated their um, database. And people are frantic at the moment trying to update, find their files, find their information on their missing dogs. Uh, So it's quite a traumatic time at the moment. And the idea of having a centralised database that DEFRA would be in charge of would be a backup system for everybody. And that's really needed for people. There needs to be an easy way to access the detail on the microchip databases. I mean, I always liken it to, could it not work like the DVLA works? Well, you would think it was quite a simple process. With today's technology, it's it's not rocket science to get this done. It's just getting someone to do it. It's, It's the ideas are all there, the technology is there. It's just pulling everything together. And, and people like Sir Ian are the ones who can do it for us and can make the difference for us. Let's really hope so. But there's so many issues, isn't there? Not least, I know from my own dogs, is that microchips move in the body. So I know my current miniature bull terrier Prudence's chip is down her left leg at the minute. Now I know that, but you know, in the event she was stolen, people might think she wasn't chipped or she ended up in a dog pound or something. I mean, dogs that they can't find the chips even in dog pounds they only have seven days <laughs> so the law has to cover that aspect well, well most veterinary people will actually know that um, and like you know it, I know it there's a lot of information about chips moving but it's it's just getting everybody to work together it's the most wonderful system it works we see it working we know that microchips work to reunite pets and unless the veterinary profession are legally obliged to check microchips at pets first presentation then sold on stolen pets are not going to get home no exactly and the issue is at the moment bringing beverly in quickly now we've seen the huge demand for puppies you know a year ago and we've run out of loo roll and then we ran out of puppies and now what some of these online sites that sell dogs are seeing is a massive rise in teenage dogs so it seems that the novelty of a puppy that was like such hot property we must have a puppy it's the the best thing to get us through lockdown and then cute puppies turn into belligerent teenagers and they're all being sold online for extortion at prices but is this opening a window Beverly do you think for a lot of scamming to go on and for these thieves to get really clever with all this modern technology that we now have? Definitely I would say that the move the suggested move to ban cash sales won't really make any difference because Scrap metal, you know you're, you're doing something dodgy when you're buying scrap metal. The people who are buying stolen pets are totally oblivious. They are not transacting in cash. They are doing it thinking they're buying a legitimate dog. That's the problem. But the scammers out there are actually selling dogs online, probably changing their mobile number a few times. Uh, but they're also, it's tremendously organized now. There's so much money in dogs that... Yeah, these are criminals that have maybe turned their back on or uh, on, on, on county line sort of drug 
activities or they are doing them both at the same time they've got the kids out there scouting for dogs to steal at the same time as selling drugs and we're hearing of when um that people get a um there's some marvelous new initiatives of people getting evidence of stealing and then getting a, a warrant to go in and the police are finding that they're going in to search for pets that have been stolen and they're having to back out and get stronger warrants because they've found human slavery human trafficking they've found firearms they've found explosives there's a really horrible mixture of bad people out there who are now exploiting dogs because really there's no punishment and i'm just really hopeful that this this changes but because of the demand for puppies lots and lots of undesirables have rushed in to sell dogs some dogs don't even exist the scam is that they steal your deposit and you arrive at their address to find it's a fake address. And they add up all those deposits. And the heartbreak of families that have thought they were getting a puppy have really been convinced by these very elaborate scams. The problem is online is very, very dangerous place. And <laughs> I, I'm, I'm absolutely terrified at the size of the prices of um, very often the worst people. The people who are putting the really massive prices out there are usually commodity breeders. And that's something we need to address is that the current licensing of breeders makes no division between those who breed in bulk from mums that never know love that are just breeding slaves and people breeding dogs in their home from a much loved dog. At the moment, you're both considered the same. And, and this, it, it's just madness. We've, we've, we've made it so that even if you had one litter from a beloved dog, you'd have to apply for a breeder's license. And, and it's, it's, it, we've seemed to have forgotten that dogs should be reared in the home by people who love them. They should not be factory farmed. And the, the problem is in this pandemic, it's the, it's the far puppy farmers who are doing it to huge numbers that are also not, 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 not above. I mean, there is a network. The biggest puppy farm in Ireland has 900 breeding bitches. We're, we're hearing of dogs that end up stolen, end up being used for studs over there. I mean, the, the breeds that we're now seeing as the most frequently stolen are the compositive parts of cockapoos, labradoodles, this is where the movement is, and they're targeting the stud dogs so that they can go in, and the mums and the breeding bitches. We really need to get these people out of selling dogs. Um, I've got involved in, in a new platform which encourages home breeding and people who love their dogs and do everything possible. And in 30 years, I've just seen, I've been campaigning so hard against puppy farming. And it's got worse in the pandemic. I so know, I'm, and it, I'm hoping that Tailwise, which is a, a new tech startup, will help to put back. The, 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 like we've stopped buying battery farmed eggs. We need to know the provenance of the puppies we buy because the, the public cannot cope with dogs that have been reared in sheds that don't know human love. This is why so many are being resold they bought dogs in the pandemic that have no early training whatsoever. And they're the novice breeders and they've got no help from those breeders to help them cope. 
And that's why we're seeing so many on sale who are bouncing from home to home. Hmm. Normally they go to rescue, but because they've spent so much money, they're trying to reclaim some of it. And yes. rescue's empty. It's just, it's just crazy. It's going to, no, it's a no. tsunami about to happen. I think it is a tsunami about to happen, but you know, and it's a shame through lockdown that Lucy's Law that was campaigned for for so long, for over a decade, kind of fell a bit flat as lockdown restrictions meant, yeah, people couldn't go to a home, even if they wanted to, to check out the lovely home reared litter. So kind of third party sales were happening with, you know, I mean, there was the story of Mr. Chai, you know, the the sweet Pomeranian bought by the Love Island couple that was flown in from Russia. You know, think of his air miles. And and in this crisis of the climate, it does seem ridiculous that you bring a dog in from Russia. And the poor thing only lived six days because of the trauma of his poor start in life and and a ridiculously long flight in horrid conditions, I'm sure, really. Anyway, but yes, the other thing that I, I would imagine if I were a thief I would be cruising these dog sites and thinking oh there there's a nice poodle okay um let's pretend to be the buyer for this poodle get the address and steal it maybe yeah the the breeders are terrified they're they're keeping it quiet when they're having a litter They're, they're really really nervous and um I was talking to somebody with a Labrador who was saying that all of his friends who've got um, really top-notch, um, you know, hugely qualified Labradors um, who, uh, who are just so important to, to the, their owners are finding that they're being scammed and asked, being asked for their health certificates. And they've realised that the reason that these scammers are asking for the health certificates is twofold. One, to find their address, because very often they forget to blank that out, so they'll look for stealing those dogs later, but also so they can just scam them in and pass them off um, off online to further convince people that they really have a dog to sell when they're just after stealing their deposits. So we really need to really restore the dog to the hands of people who love them. Take away this commodity idea. And and the really sad thing about Lucy's Law was we should have got rid of the pet shop. What's happened in the pandemic is we've got the virtual pet shop, which is much worse. And we taught the puppy farmers how to sell direct how to deliver, how to make it like buying a pizza. And that's just absolutely catastrophic because they've made more money than they've ever made before. And we really need the license to not legalize that sort of slavery. We need it to actually distinguish that this is actually a factory farm and this is a artisan breeder who is breeding from love dogs. Make some differential so that the public can choose and mm. know that they they don't want to support breeding slavery and that that's something that we've got more vegetarians more vegans why are we buying more puppy farm dogs it just doesn't make any sense it doesn't but it's been this this false demand really through lockdown and you know and i believe so many people haven't thought it through with a dog i think people bought puppies because they saw dog owners having a wonderful life with their dogs on instagram and thought i know what's going to make me happy through this pandemic is a puppy they they weren't people who thought it's 15 years commitment walking your dog every day and all of these things and training your dog and having some understanding really of 
what a dog even is because I do dispute Beverly that we I think a lot of us have forgotten what a dog is now and I think (laughs) social media again has had a very negative effect on that bringing Ian in, in again so what do you think about bringing back dog licenses well I had um a conversation um uh, can I just, before I answer that question, can mm. I just answer the point that was made earlier about, about cash sales? These are not, um, I'm not pro- I only mean proposing that this is the, uh, the answer to everything, but it is part of the process. And the idea is that uh, it should be made very clear to members of the public that if you are asked to pay cash for a dog, then you are committing an offence. That would be the point. And that's just part of the process of getting people to wake up to the idea that every time you pay cash for things, that you're actually committing an offence here and you can be prosecuted. So that will, that's one of the processes of getting them to check. Um, on the other side of it, I did propose to uh, the Lord Chancellor at the time uh, that there may be a possibility, now that we have chips, uh, to return to dog licenses in the sense that you can link the dog licenses to uh, uh, to the chips, which will make life a lot easier so that you have an immediate identification of ownership at the same time uh, as it's locked to the scan and the ability to recognize which dog is which. Um, now, his answer was actually quite uh, positive. He said it, he has no principled objection to the return of dog licenses. It's just a matter of practicalities and how this would work, but he is certainly open to looking at that as well. So that was a positive moment. I, I, I do think that probably we do need to have uh, some form of licensing because uh, this is the only way you're going to begin to stop uh, this, this puppy farming, really, which is the problem. Um, and uh, the demand, people who've never had dogs, and this is what one of the problems of lockdown has been, people have never really owned dogs regularly or grown up with them, who now, with a family or whatever, in lockdown, thought, gosh, great to have a dog. Um, there is no process by which people uh, are helped to understand the nature of what a commitment having a dog is. Uh, in actual fact. And, and so that part of a license is also the process that allows people to, on application for a license, to get, in, you know, at least some kind of jog memory instruction as to what is going to happen once you purchase a dog. It would also be about, you know, again, no cash sales. You, you know, it's a lot of ways of getting information out. So I'm personally in favour of it. And I don't think the government has a down on it. Uh, I certainly think it would be a good idea. Oh, yes. Well, I know the RSPCA are very keen to bring back dog licences. Debbie, what do you think? The good old-fashioned dog licence? I remember having a dog licence. <laughs> yes, same. <laughs> um, so anything that's going to help, I say yes to. We've, we've got to really think this through and get this working for everyone. There are, as I said before, there are things that can be done to make a difference for people. And, it, and it's scary. I mean, the, the recent dog lost uh, theft figures for the first three months of this year is that 168 dogs have been recorded on their site already this year. And people are now fearful of going out. And we've got to get the message out to people that uh, leaving your dog in a garden is the number one place that they'll be stolen from. Never leave your dog unattended outside a shop or in a car. 
when you walk, walk at different times, vary your routes. Isn't it dreadful we have to think about all these things? But it's mm. they're important messages to get out to the public. Yes, common sense, really, I guess. And, and I would say, what does everyone think here? Train a good recall. It's important for so many things at the moment in our overcrowded outdoor spaces. But it's like theft can happen easier now because it is more crowded in, in all the parks. I know around me it's much more crowded. And so people can disappear more quickly and you've got a small dog that's pick upable and they're the ones also being really targeted of course but training a good recall Debbie what do you think about that yes it is very important but people forget even if you've got a dog on good recall um, quite a lot of dogs are stolen on walks so if your dog goes into bushes there can be of someone standing on the other side of that bush and snatch your dog a lot of people who walk in parks, that there's a routine with the dog. The dog knows what's happening. And some people know that they have their dogs off lead or don't even bother to recall. And the dog will run ahead to the car park because they know that the car is the next place they're going to go to. And you can have people standing in that car park waiting for those dogs who just turn up to stand by their car, eagerly awaiting for their owners. So it, it, you just have to be dog theft aware. Think about everything you're doing with your dog. Check your garden, check your home. Think about it when you're out. You've got to be dog theft aware at all times and be vigilant. Beverly, one more comment from your good self, please. Um, I, I do think that we are hopefully, finally going to see some movement on pet theft. I think that um, it's been, the, the public has learned how to, how, how, to, how to tell their MPs what really matters. And I, I know during our last parliamentary debate, some MPs stood up and said, the most emails they've ever received are to do with pet theft, bigger than Brexit, bigger than COVID. And I think that's what all our politicians need to know is that this is a subject that will make them immensely popular on the doorstep if they, if they manage to get this through. And Ian, I would absolutely, I said when with Lucy's Law, I'd get an I Love Michael Gove t-shirt made. I'm definitely getting my I Love Ian Duncan Smith t-shirt yes. ready to go because yes. I'm hoping you get this through for us because Debbie has been trying for years and years and years. And, and now we're, we're hopefully we're going to see some resolution. We, re we need not just this though, I think all the bits of to do with the dog in legislation need a good look at because dogs are family let's let's recognize it and accept it and make the law protect them because they protect us It'd be really lovely to to pay the favor back well can i just say be very careful because of course as you know this week i have now been banned and attacked by the chinese government <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, don't wear it in china for god's sake i won't get it made in china certainly i, I no. thought i would use a good british supplier in don't worry <laughs> yes. but, but i have to just say government has been brilliant finn's law finn's law part two has got through the house of commons only last week i think or the week before which is brilliant for animal cruelty and neglect which is something really i can't bear either and of course, Andrew Rossendale, Ian, who is not far from you um, no, in terms not. of constituencies, with Jasmine's Law, another fabulous piece of proposed legislation to ban horrible no pet clauses. Because there are a lot of willing pet owners that would be responsible people to own a pet that can't because of private landlords banning them and things. So um, that might help dogs in rescue find good homes. So we, we like that. 
So thank you, Ian. <laughs> My pleasure. And uh, let's all keep our fingers crossed. I, I, we've got, I think we've built up a head of steam internally in Parliament now. It's cross-party. I talked to the Labour uh, MP who's uh, working on building much the same process in the Labour Party. I think this, you know, there is a genuine groundswell. It may take a little bit uh, longer because bills, this is, this bill that's just going through now is about the size of the Bible. So, uh, you know, it'll take a little while to get through the committee stage, but when it gets back to the floor of the House of Commons, what's called report stage, if the government by then hasn't or isn't going to do something, then uh, we will be amending this bill one way or the other on a number of uh, in a number of ways. So we're already taking advice about that, and I'm very happy to discuss that further. But I am determined, one way or the other, we are not going to let this fade. That's such good news. And let's perhaps get a date in the diary when we have some good news on this, Ian. It would be an honour if you'd come back onto A Dog's Life um, with Debbie and Beverly to uh, bring an update to all our listeners. I'd be very happy to. Um, and uh, I would just say to anyone who's listening to this, would recognise that they pass the, the, the information around, which is that, you know, anyone they hear of or see that thinks about getting a dog, it's really important that everybody just reminds them uh, that, uh, you know, if it looks too easy and too good and too simple, it's probably illegal. Yeah, exactly. And you do have to wait for a puppy. Dogs are not a hoover. You don't buy them with a click of a mouse on the internet. Um, but thank you to everybody. Thank you, Debbie. Oh, thank you very much. Just what I wanted to just add that with, without Dr. Daniel Allen's work on this in the Pet Fair Reform campaign, which he started with the first petition in 2018, we've had three petitions now, two debates mm. in Parliament, we wouldn't be where we are today. Right. No, absolutely. And everyone must sign these petitions and keep them circulating as well, as I think it's important to up the ante. Well, that's our show, Mr. Binks. Yes, you're right. The human condition does revolve, sadly, around ego and greed. And yes, you're right. It is time for our woof of the week. Could any change in pet theft hang on a dog's status in a court of law, changing them from chattel to sentient beings? Well, I hope you all enjoyed it too and were galvanised to help tackle this out-of-control problem. Please write to your MP and check out all of the links to Debbie, Ian, Beverly and related campaigns, which are all in the show notes. Thanks so much to my producer, Mike Hansen at Pod People Productions for all the music and production as ever. You can follow them at Pod People UK. For more about me, I'm at Anna Webb Dogs or have a look at my website, annaweb.co.uk. We'll be back in your feed next Sunday. So why don't you subscribe for free now? We're on all your favorite podcast apps. And if you subscribe, you'll never miss another show. Or you could check out some previous episodes, including our roundtable discussion on banning Greyhound racing. That's episode 43. Bye for now.